Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. We have been off for a very long time, uh, probably about a month or so since we've recorded, and so a lot has happened. We're going to babble like butter for a bit, if that's all right with you guys, but I'm going to check in with my brother, Seth. Now, Father Seth, <laughs> how you doing, man? What's up? Well, first off, you say if it's up to you, if it's okay with you guys, as if they have any choice. I mean, they could skip through it, I suppose. But <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Well, it's going to happen whether they should. want to or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Don't, don't, don't go skipping through. Um, that's good. I mean, we're learning how to be parents one one day at a time. You learn something new every day with it. It's a challenge, but a beautiful challenge. Little Evelyn is starting to sleep a little better at night, but she's going through some pretty colicky phases where if she's awake, she's screaming. So uh, if if you're not holding her and consoling her while she's awake, she's screaming. <laughs> we've wow. tried the gripe water. We've tried the semethicone. We've tried the Tylenol. Amanda's cut out a bunch of different foods from her diet to see if that has any effect. And, Man. So far, nothing really seems to make a difference. So we're hoping that this phase doesn't last too long. But when she is happy, you know, for a few minutes right after eating, um, she's adorable. She's finally kind of started smiling uh, and mirroring Aww. our faces a little bit. So that's that's always a pretty special thing. But that's awesome. What is like one piece of advice you'd give to a new dad or parent even? Something that maybe somebody uh, didn't tell you in advance. Well, this is something that Amanda actually reminded me of today, which was very helpful for me. Um, your baby needs you, and that's what they need is you. Mm. I was holding Evelyn, and she was just screaming. And I had fed her. I had changed her. I had done like bicycle kicks to make sure she got all the gas out of her stomach or out of her bowels. I had long story short everything was taken care of all her needs were met and i was just kind of holding her but not really consoling her and i was just looking at her and i kept saying to evelyn over and over like what do you need there's no reason for you to be screaming at me like this and amanda was just like you know it's because she doesn't know what she needs other than you or other than me and so sometimes you can meet all their needs but what they truly need is just comfort from you and Mm. it's like okay i need to stop trying to fix something and just put her right up against my chest and talk to her softly and rub her back and pat her bottom and she ended up calming down and falling asleep and so it's like okay that's it's hard for me to remember because i want to fix things i want to you know go through a checklist of okay i've done everything i can why are you still upset amanda was like she doesn't know (laughs) she she actually doesn't know why she's upset she just knows that she's upset and she needs you and it was like oh Mm. okay that's a good reminder and i think that goes you know i think it's more intuitive for moms than it is for dads in that regard but it was a good reminder from amanda for sure i bet well how is transitioning into like i mean still trying to work out still trying to go to work like all that i mean you don't look 
as tired as I maybe would have expected <laughs> now that you're back at work and everything. That's because I got lucky enough to sleep for 10 hours last night without too much interruption. Amanda took took the feeding and I went to bed early and it, like I said, Evelyn's sleeping a little bit better. Um, I don't know. It's been hard. I've, I've basically broken up my workouts from three days a week into six days a week, but wow. cut them in half, if you will. So okay. they, you know, they take only 35 to 45 minutes as opposed to an hour and 15 to an hour mm-hmm. and 30. Um, and I try to do that each morning before I go to work. I've, I've missed a few days for sure, but, uh, you know, get up at four forty-five to four thirty ish to get up and work out. Thankfully, I, you know, at the home gym, I don't have to commute and I can yeah, just go upstairs and shower. So it saves a ton of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I go to work for 12 and a half, 13 hours and come home and try to take Evelyn for a while so Amanda can shower or read or try to have some semblance of peace and go mm. to bed and do it all over again. So, man, it's Pretty a lot wild life. Yeah, it's it's an adjustment for sure. But Amanda also does a great job of like, all right, I can tell you need to relax and go do something on your own. So I will Good. take her go get on your bike and go for an 18 mile bike ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that's I've fair. been doing that a little bit out here as well. So very cool. Yeah, man. How about you? I know you got to have quite the experience with the Spartan race. Yeah. So we went to uh, South Carolina for a Spartan 10 K race. They call it the super. And it was, it was a lot of fun. There was 29 obstacles. It was really 6.8 miles. I don't know what a 10 K, I think it's like a 6.2 technically but it was 6.8 miles not including like penalty loops if you failed an obstacle or burpees or anything like that but um yeah we were we were kind of cruising through it like the first half felt great and then the second half was just a grind like the most of the most of the trail was in the trees so we didn't have the sun beating down on us for for the most part of like the beginning and then right around mile five it just everything was in the clear and we're talking South Carolina in the middle of July and it was 95 degrees with like 85% humidity. So it was, it was, and again, just like straight up sun beating down on us. And so that, that really depleted everything that I had. And that's what I learned is that I didn't have much in me as far as like electrolytes and water and stuff. So we, uh, we finished, I jump over, we jump over the fire and then we take our finishing picture and I just started going wild. Like Ariel's kind of excited. Like she, she and I both feel really, really like nauseous and, and dizzy. So, but I couldn't hardly walk straight. Like I was stumbling yeah. around and I was kind of slurring my words. I was like, what in the world is happening to me? And Ariel's like, Hey, just sit down. I'll go wash off. Like just sit down here and rest. And then Pretty much, I remember her walking towards me saying, like, Sam, what's wrong? And I don't, like, that's the last thing I, I remember. I didn't technically pass out. Ariel said I didn't pass out, but that's all I remember. And then I, like, the, the, the first thing that I remember after that was laying in the medical tent and having ice and stuff thrown on me to try to cool down my temperature. So the uh, medic said that I was definitely heat exhaustion. I guess it's like a, like a, spectrum like there's heat stroke yep. is obviously the most serious heat exhaustion and then there's like a spectrum in between so i was probably somewhere in between 
but they uh, they helped me out. They got me electrolytes that I continued to throw up throughout the rest the rest of the day. And I just gotta like Ariel really took care of me. It's, it's talking about that instinct of you know f- females have, mm-hmm. she <laughs> she just took care of me, and it was really scary for her too because she had no idea what was going on. But she was super strong. Like we were supposed to drive back to Kentucky that day, and she took care of finding us a new another night at a hotel, and you know getting electrolytes from Walmart and stuff like that, and you know, taking care of me at the hotel, which I just pretty much slept and threw up the rest of the day. Like that's all I did was just laying on the bed. So she's just sitting there like making sure that I'm okay. And uh, man, it was, it was, it was wild, but yeah, she was, she was awesome. She was really, really awesome. And then of course, uh, I vowed not to do that again. And then we signed up for a Spartan beast, (laughs) which is a half marathon with, uh, 30 obstacles. So That is is in November. That is in North Carolina, but it's in November, uh, mid-November. So it should be, it's like the week right before Thanksgiving. So it should be cooler. And we've been actually trying to train a little bit better. We actually just did a trail run today, an eight mile trail run. um, Nice. Together. Took us about two hours. So not the fastest by any means, but like we're getting that distance down and a feel for it. And so, you know, obviously we need to run. I think it's like over 13 miles technically for the beast for the beast but yeah we're we're doing some intentional training i'm gonna have to ask you what i should do as far as the late weightlifting goes for that because i don't think i should keep going for you know prs at this point no uh, at least no. until the end of that but yeah that's kind of been the focus of our now that summer's finished up we had a crazy busy summer i was out of kentucky for over a month you know between our trips and stuff that we did so we're excited to kind of slow down. Ariel picked up a new job at uh, Great Crossing High School, which is the, the other high school that we have in, in town. Um, her, her desserts job was a good summer job, you know, got her through. But she's like, I, I need kind of an actual job because sure. even as a manager, she wasn't getting paid much. And she wanted to make sure she had actual hours, too, because she wasn't getting the hours she needed. So she's excited to jump into it. They kind of created a new role and she's going to be the first one to try it out. So it's a half admin registrations and attendance and also half like behavioral which is stuff that she's done for a long yeah. time so we're excited for the change and all that so overall we're doing we're doing pretty well pretty well it's yeah. i got i got a, a staff member um at georgetown to help me out with student ministries so i'm switching over to just high school ministries and i have a middle school pastor now that will be taking on all of that because we've been growing so much leadership was like hey you need help and so they gave us a another staff member so that's great You're like, i'm not doing you, <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not doing everything by myself now which means i probably won't have to do so many trips next uh next year too which would be nice mm-hmm. but were you part yeah. of the interview process for the the middle school not really we actually didn't it wasn't an outside hire thing we just kind of shifted some people around so I'm actually taking somebody from our Nicholsville campus because um, that's our biggest campus. And they, uh, they're they able to supplement with like a central person. So we should be good. Nice. But yeah, and the guy's that's awesome. Exciting. John Santrock, if you're listening, you're a great man. Can't wait to start <laughs> start working with you. He's, uh, he's the guy that I almost went down to watch the Avs beat the Predators because okay. he's, Ash- yeah. he's a Predators fan. And I almost convinced him to do it. He's like, no, I got a graduation party. <laughs> and the abs won six nothing that night and i was like dang it uh, it would have been a fun one to go to <laughs> it would have been so much fun to just like rip into Place all those you. predators fans <laughs> but oh, yeah i'm excited for this uh this upcoming season for sure 
Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff down the pike for you. Yep. Absolutely. Well, now that we babbled like Butterbur for probably a bit too long, um, we're going to jump into uh, one of our favorite sections, Riddles in the Dark. And just a reminder, since it's been a little while, we flip through our trilogy book here. We have three books in one and just go to a random page and we read dialogue without necessarily giving away characters to see if the other person can guess the context, which book and uh, who's who's talking. So, Seth, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Let's see. Hmm. Oh, this is uh, this could be kind of challenging. Then again, maybe not. Um, I will take it. Where are the Dunedain LSR LSR? Why do thy kinsfolk wander afar? Hmm. Near is the hour when lost shall come forth, and the gray company shall ride from the north. But dark is the path appointed for thee. The dead watch the road that leads to the sea. Hmm. I I know it's Return of the King. Um, nope. It's not? Is it the Two Towers? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. It's, so it's the Two Towers. Somebody's obviously talking to Aragorn, somebody who's calling him a Lessar, so I imagine that's Elrond. Nope. Or, but the, yeah, I was going to say there's no, there's no connections with them. Is the Great Company in the in the Two Towers? I thought it was in the Return <laughs> of the King, like the well, chapter passing of the Great Company. All right, I'll, I'll read. Just this is a different character. All right, okay. this is okay. a little bit la- a little bit later on. In happy hour, you have returned to us, Gandalf. Cried the dwarf. Huh. <laughs> is no? this so? Hold on. Oh, duh. Yeah, this is in Fangorn Forest when Gandalf. Uh, Reveals himself after, like his resurrection. Yeah. So who? So the initial quote. Who said that? So the initial quote. I mean, is, is that not Gandalf talking to? It's Gandalf or? speaking, but he's delivering a message. Oh, from Galadriel. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah see, that one was more, more challenging. That was good. That was yeah. You, I, I had to get. Uh, I had to phone a friend for that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see what I can conjure. Hmm. Okay. The words are known indeed. It is some token of your truth that you also know them. Aragorn, whom I named, is the bearer of the sword that was broken. And we are halflings that the, ru- yeah, that yeah, the rhymes yeah, speak yeah. of. What do I got? That's Faramir. They're talking to about Boromir. Yes, you are correct. So yeah, I assume you know. Frodo. Yeah, it's Frodo and Sam talking to Faramir, and when he says like the riddle or whatever, or he speaks of like you, uh, you speak as one who has indeed seen Boromir, basically. Yeah, yeah. So which book is that, Seth? Uh, well, it's in the Two Towers movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think. No, it's definitely the Two Towers book as well because it leaves off at Shelob in the Frodo and Sam story. So it's got to be Two Towers book as well. You are uh, you are correct. Nice. Um, no, that was that was uh, that was fun. So obviously, the last podcast we did seems ages ago, but that was the 
lovely, wonderful, epic love story of Baron and Luthien. And since we talked about them, Seth had the awesome idea of just talking about another beautiful man-elf relationship, one that everyone should be very familiar with, but maybe don't know the backstory. Because there's actually a lot of backstory to Aragorn and Arwen, who we'll talk about here in a minute, um, that is not necessarily in the movies and not even necessarily in the books. You have to go to the back of the books, the appendices, to really get the full fleshed out history of their tale, which I read online that there is an actual like Aragorn and Arwen tale that was written, but then it was deleted or, or removed or something because it just repeated too much of what was in the story. I guess. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. So I don't know if Tolkien did that, that himself or if he just wrote that there was a tale, but I don't want to rewrite it because it's just very much the mm. same. I don't know. But anyway, um, let's jump into let's uh, let's just jump into that. All right. So as we jump into Aragorn and Arwen, I think it's important to look at some of the previous man elf unions um, and kind of look into why they're so important. I, I think when it comes to these stories, there's generally speaking always big high profile characters that have a huge role to play in the momentous e- events of Middle Earth, except for uh, one union. Um, so this first uh, union that takes place is between Baron and Luthien. And that's the three part series that we just finished up last time we recorded. So go back and listen to those. They're great. Absolutely. Um, but the nice, the interesting thing about that union, and these are all crazy intertwined, uh, they gave birth to Dior, who then married Nimbloth, and their child was Elwing. And the reason Elwing sounds familiar is because that's actually Elrond's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second union was between Tuor and Idril Celebrendel. Now, Tuor uh, was the son of Huor kind of from the Children of Hurin uh, story, mm-hmm. although slightly different. Uh, it's his cousin. Um, and then Idril is the son of, or I'm sorry, the daughter of Turgon, the king of Gondolin, the hidden kingdom right. of Gondolin. So uh, Tour was a momentous player to get everybody out of Gondolin during the fall of Gondolin back in the first age. But they gave birth to Erendil, who, again, probably sounds familiar because we've talked about him in the past. He's the one that crossed the sea with the Silmaril uh, and begged the help of the Valar to defeat Morgoth at the end of the First Age. Now, he actually married Elwing, and they gave birth to Elrond and Elros, so the half-elven. So you can see how those two are intertwined. Um, And then, obviously, the Aragorn and Arwen story. uh, There's lineages upon lineages there. Uh, But there is a fourth uh, little-known union between man and elf and that was between Imrazor and Mithrelis and I can't really pronounce it which is there's not much known about this and they're two rather inconsequential players in the major legendarium Um, Imrazor was a man of the Numenorean race that hung out uh, near the uh, Dol Amroth area, and he later became the Prince of Dol Amroth, which, if that sounds familiar, you might have remembered the name Imrahil from The Return of the King. Uh, Legolas actually, when he looks at Prince Imrahil, he says, I can tell that there's elven blood running through your veins. And that's where that uh, comes from. So not much said about that one, but it is just kind of an interesting aside. And they're all 
it's all like the man is actually from the men race of men, right? And the elf is always a female, correct? Yeah, that's correct, which is strange to me, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't know why Tolkien did it that way, but I'm sure he had a very distinct reason. Maybe that's something I could look up at some point. But yeah, you make a great point. It's always the man from the race of men and the woman from the race of elves. Yeah. Because from my, I I mean, from what I know, I could be completely wrong on this, but the Rings of Power TV show, it's going to be flopped, isn't it? Um, that's kind of what it seems like. There's, I, we don't, I don't know all the details yet, but it seems like Galadriel's husband, Celeborn, will be dead initially, and she's going to have a love interest, which is a man, which kind of fits that, which it shouldn't be Galadriel and whatever. Um, (laughs) But then there's, I think like another forbidden love between two original Amazon characters. But I think that one is a male elf and a female man, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's for sure yet. We'll have to see. But supposedly that's a thing which honestly would kind of bother me because Tolkien reserved these unions for very important things. And to just have it thrown in with two original characters just kind of doesn't do any justice to Tolkien's. Um, world in my opinion yeah no i completely agree um all right so let's just give a little character background on aragorn and arwen before we dive into their their story here so this is just a brief background on aragorn uh he's the son of arathorn and gil rain he's known as isildur's heir his mother gave him the name estel which means hope When he was quite young, his father went out riding with the Sons of Elrond and actually took an orc arrow to the eye and died. It's super unfortunate. Um, (laughs) It was actually foretold by Gil Rhine's, I believe it was Gil Rhine's mother, um, that her husband would die early uh, or early for a man of Numenorean race Mm -hmm. where they live longer. Right. Um, so that foresight came true and he took an orc arrow to the eye and died. Um, so after that, Gil Ryan took Aragorn to Rivendell to live amongst the elves in the house of Elrond. His true lineage was hidden from him. So he didn't actually, he wasn't told that he was the, the son of Arathorn who going all the way back was, you know, in direct bloodlines to a Seedlor. So he didn't know any of this until he turned 20. Um, and he went out riding with the sons of Elrond and I can only imagine they were trying to kill some orcs or go after, um, some kind of, you know, group of Sauron's minions. But as he returned, uh, it was clear to Elrond that he was, uh, early come to manhood. So he was only 20 years old when this happened and Elrond came up to him and told him about his specific lineage and said, like, you're you're in direct descendants of the kings. You have this powerful bloodline. He gave him the Ring of Bear here, which is um, kind of a token of that bloodline. We talked about it in great detail during the Baron and Luthien stories. So if you just think about that for a second, that ring is this is the third age that we're talking about now. And that was way back in the beginning of the first age. So this ring is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, which is, it's a pretty cool artifact at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he also gave him the shards of Narsil, which was the sword that cut the ring from Sauron's fingers after Gilgalad and Elendil had, had killed Sauron or destroyed Sauron that, uh, Isildur took up the sword and cut the ring. 
Um, but he didn't give him the scepter of Enuminas, which was uh, to be withheld and given to him at a later date if he warranted it. So as you kind of continue the story of Aragorn, he was walking through the woods of Rivendell rejoicing. He was super excited about like this new majesty that he found in himself. And that's when he saw Arwen, which we'll get into a little bit more detail. And he fell in love with her. And it basically helped dictate the the rest of his the course of his life because of some stipulations that Elrond put on him. Mm-hmm. Um but after after taking leave of Rivendale, he went out into the wild for 30 years and labored against Sauron. Um, he became a good friend of Gandalf from whom he learned much wisdom. And he went on many perilous journeys. Now, Tolkien doesn't really go to describe too many of those journeys, except for uh, really just one of them that, you know, they captured Smeagol uh, during this time. But I kind of wonder what kind of mischief Gandalf and Aragorn were getting into. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that would be some sweet backstory there. But it even, I mean, it harkens back to, again, Baron and Luthien. Like, Baron wandered the wilderness doing all kinds of crazy perilous journeys and missions and stuff so kind of just shows how connected and how similar they are yep exactly um and then after doing all that he traveled uh he traveled the lands all uh, around middle earth and he rode in many guises um he actually rode with the rohirrim and fought alongside theoden's father thingol uh he fought with gondor on land and sea or fought for Gondor, I guess I should say, yep. uh, on land and sea under the stewardship of, uh, well, under the the command of the steward of Gondor. He went under the name Thorongil, uh, and he actually became very well known and loved by Ecthelion II, who is Denethor's father. And so yeah. there's actually some writings about how Denethor was jealous of this Thorongil, even though he didn't know it was Aragorn at the time. He was incredibly jealous. Um, So that kind of explains a little bit of what happened later on. But then he just disappeared without a word instead of going back to, you know, praise and and prestige and stuff in Gondor. He just disappeared because he had more stuff to do. That wasn't his big his big mission. Um, So then at the age of 49, he went to Lothlorien to just seek some rest and he ran into Arwen again, and this is when they decided to get married again. We'll go into that in a little bit more detail. Um, and then, of course, all the 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 wonderful things he did during the War of the Ring. He captured Smeagol. He led the Hobbits to Rivendell. He joined the Fellowship of the Ring. He led the Three Hunters. He fought in the Battle of the Helm's Deep. He crossed the Paths of the Dead. He fought in the Battle of the Pelennor. He took leadership of Gondor and had a brief siege on uh, Mordor. He became king of both Arnor and Gondor, eventually marrying Arwen and Damiel, finally. Uh, and then he went alongside Eomer and fought many other battles uh, to clear up the land of Sauron's minions uh, before he finally died at the age of 210. Old guy. Yeah, he Real did a lot. Yeah. I mean, you think 210 is a long, that's a lot of years, but with everything he accomplished, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not all that much. Yeah. Probably took a toll. Well, uh, I'll talk a little bit about Arwen. So obviously we had a character background on Aragorn. Here's kind of the background we have of Arwen and Dumiel, Evenstar. Uh, and she is the last generation of the High Elves. She's obviously the dar- daughter of Elrond, who, as Seth mentioned, is that half-elven. And the daughter of Celebrain, who is the daughter of Celeborn, as Seth mentioned. And Galadriel, and the youngest sister uh, to Aladdin and Elrahir, 
those are the uh, brothers that we will talk a bit more about, not a whole lot, but a bit more about later on. Um, but she, again, is the last line of those high elves who have been seen the Blessed Realm. That is like the, the Undying Lands um, that we've seen of Valinor. So those are the last elves that actually got to see that glory happen. So that's different than like Legolas and the yeah. Sylvan elves from Mirkwood and stuff like that. They're not considered high elves because they didn't get to cross over the sea and hang out with the Valor. Right. Yep. So Arwen, as we're going to talk about is very similar to Luthien in a lot of ways. And uh, Frodo even mentions it. Like he, where we see this, this little interaction in the fellowship of the ring that Frodo saw her whom few mortals had yet seen Arwen, daughter of Elrond in whom it was said that the likeness of Luthien had come on earth again. And she was called Indamiel for she was the even star of her people. So again, we're seeing some tie-ins from the Baron and Luthien story on both sides, the Aragorn and Baron side, and then the Luthien and Arwen time. But it's interesting, she spent her time living in both Rivendell and Lothlorien, which part of me is like, why don't you just stay in Rivendell? Your dad's there, your brothers are there. But then I remember she's really old. <laughs> like, she's an adult. She can live where she wants. She's over 2,700 years old at this point. <laughs> so yep, yep. it makes sense that she gets to live where she wants. So. Uh, <laughs> But then, obviously, Seth mentioned she meets her love, Aragorn. They met uh, for the first time in Rivendell when Aragorn was 20, like Seth mentioned. Again, Arwen was over 2,700 years old. And to give context, he's 87 in Lord of the Rings. So this is like 57 years uh, before the Lord of the Rings events. So Math is hard, but that's okay. Is that not right? Sorry. (laughs) 67 years. Ugh. Hey, I, I ran a lot today. I'm, yep. My head's foggy. <laughs> That's all right. I got you. That's why I'm yeah. here. Anyway, <laughs> she was hanging out in Lothlorien with her grandmother, Galadriel, and she came back to Rivendell. Very similar, again, to the Baron and Luthien story. Aragorn saw, Aragorn saw her, and it was like love at first sight. He immediately fell in love with her, and he actually even mistook her for Luthien, and he cried out when they saw Tenuvial, Tenuvial, because he was, he thought he was dreaming, right? He thought he was straight into a dream. And so he's like, oh, this must be like a dream of Baron and Luthien. And uh, Arwen heard him and was like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I can just imagine like us guys, we get so like starstruck and girls just like, what are you, are you all right? You doing okay? <laughs> and then he like shakes it off. He's like, oh yeah, no, I'm a, uh, I'm Aragorn, uh, Arathorn's son, a Sealder's heir, Lord of the Dunedain. Um, but again, Seth mentioned like all that prestige, that joy and excitement he'd felt about the the newfound power and lineage. It just it was nothing in comparison to Arwen. Like he just realized like all that is completely minuscule um, compared to this woman that I'm like have that I have in front of me. So then Ar- Arwen politely introduced herself as the daughter of Elrond, which was surprising to Aragorn, and he said, you know, often it is seen that. In dangerous days, men hide their chief treasure, which I think is a, is a really beautiful way of saying, like, Elrond didn't want me to meet you for probably very obvious reasons. He hit, he hit you from me. <laughs> uh, because, again, Aragorn lived in the house of Elrond since he was a child and had never met Arwen before. Uh, but then they parted ways and Aragorn just felt, si- you know, he fell silent. He probably just got really depressed and was confused, like, I'm in love with this woman but I don't know if she likes me back and she's a high elf and I'm a man. Like, is this, is this I mean, even think possible? about everything that 
had just happened to him. He had just found out like, oh yeah, you're the heir to the king of men for all of Middle Earth. And then he runs into this woman that he immediately falls deeply in love with and then realizes, oh crap, she's of even greater lineage than I am. And I'm not even technically king yet. So it's like, I I guarantee it's just a bag of mixed emotions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, his mother, suspecting something, she asks like, what's going on? What's What's bothering you? And Aragorn told her pretty much everything that he was feeling. And she responded by saying, my son, your aim is high, even for the descendants of many kings. So exactly what you just said, like, like she's, yeah, your aim is really high in comparison to where you come from. For this lady is the noblest and fairest that now walks the earth. And it is not fit that a mortal should wed with the elf kin. So again, we see that, uh, that divide, that, uh, tie-in as well to the Baron and Luthien story and the fact that at the time Luthien was the fairest thing that walked the earth and now it's Arwen it's the fairest thing that walked the earth and uh, as we'll find Aragorn gets insane bragging rights <laughs> <laughs> yeah he definitely does um, but there's I mean there's a ton of uh, parallels between the two stories anyways I mean Aragorn is a man uh, marrying an elf obviously but then there's also Elrond, kind of similar to Thingol, where he's like, he's an apprehensive father-in-law, if you will. Like, he's basically like, you have to complete a bunch of things that I'll mention here in a second um, before you can wed my daughter. In the same way that Thingol did that before as yeah. well. Although Elrond is doing it more out of uh, foresight for himself rather than hatred or, I guess arrogance he's arrogance doing is good yeah. for different reasons but it's yeah. it's you know it's a similar parallel um and so during this time aragorn is back in rivendell and he's kind of solemn and and elrond actually approaches aragorn and starts talking to him um and er it's interesting aragorn actually looks at him and he's like, has my mother spoken of this? I told her, basically, I told her not to tell anybody. And he said, oh, no, oh, no, your eyes have betrayed you. Yeah, it's <laughs> so obvious, it's like, buddy. Yeah, it's obvious. You're, you're a little starstruck still. Um, and so Elrond, perceiving his heart, actually said this, and it's actually very beautiful in, in my opinion. He says, a great doom awaits you, either to rise above the height of all your fathers since the days of Elendil, or to fall into darkness with all that is left of your kin. Many years of trial lie before you. You shall have, um, you shall neither have wife nor bind any woman to you in troth until your time comes and you are found worthy of it. And he's not even just speaking of his daughter. He's saying, you've got a lot to accomplish before you can settle down. Like, yeah. you have the opportunity to be the most influential person from your entire lineage for thousands of years if you, if you take this opportunity. Um, and so Aragorn took that to heart and he went out kind of, like I had mentioned, he went out and went into the wild with, uh, with Gandalf and went on all these perilous journeys and he did all these, you know, incredible things fighting against Sauron. Uh, and it wasn't, uh, until 30 years later that Arwen actually reciprocated his love. Um, I'm sure she had been thinking of him obviously, but it, it, she never made her intentions clear until 30 years later um, when Aragorn actually 
came back to Lothlorien and Galadriel told him, all right, get rid of your way-worn garments here. Let me dress you up like a prince of the elves, basically. I'm going to dress you in silver and white and put a gray cloak around you um, with a, with a beautiful gem on your brow. And that's how Arwen first saw him again because she was spending time back uh, in Lothlorien with her grandparents. And that's when she first saw him, and that's when they decided to, as Tolkien says, plighted their troth, which is very old English yeah. way of saying they, <laughs> they, they got engaged. Um, and they did this on the Mound of Saren Amroth in Lothlorien, and that's uh, important, as you'll hear a little later on. And at that point, they, they promised... They promised that they would hold off for each other and see where the where the trials took Aragorn, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And Elrond, hearing of this, was he was pretty sad um, because he knew what that meant for him. Either either his daughter, uh, you know, goes with him back to the Undying Lands because Aragorn failed, and that's sad because her dot his daughter is going to be sad and all these mm-hmm. things, or Aragorn is successful and she becomes mortal and stays with him. Right. Um, and he never gets to see her again. So it's kind of a lose lose for Elrond. So you can kind of understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Elrond is c- apprehensive, like, like you mentioned, for a lot of yep. those selfish reasons. But he ends up having a conversation with Aragorn and says, Hey, man, fine. You can marry my daughter, but not until you go and do all the things that you have to do and become king. You know, take, until you take your throne of Gondor. And this is interesting because it does parallel Baron and Luthien in a little bit in the sense that Aragorn had a quest. You know, he, he now had a job to do in order to get this uh, woman, just like, you know, Baron had to get the Silmarils. But this was obviously a much more noble quest because you're, you know, defeating Sauron and taking the throne, all that kind of stuff. But you see, if you're reading the books Lord of the Rings, the, the books that Tolkien wrote, Aragorn's actually a very like confident leader and he has a goal from the very beginning i'm gonna go be the king of gondor like he says that from the very beginning and he everything that he does is in kind of in line with making sure that is the end goal is that he becomes king of gondor and everywhere he goes he kind of has this swagger about him too like even when uh they go to edoras that's it edoras and you know they're trying to take all the weapons and, and stuff away from them and and he wouldn't give up Narsil because he's like, no, this is like the, you know, do you know what this sword is? Like, this is not going to leave my side. I'm going to be the king of Gondor, all this kind of stuff. And Gandalf's like, well, here, I'll, I'll lay down my sword and, and maybe like, just be, be easy here. And, and so he, he agrees. But so again, reading the books, you see Aragorn in a much different light than you see in, in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Cause he, paints him in the light of like, he's reluctant, he's insecure, he doesn't want the power, he doesn't want the fame. He even says like, I've never wanted that power to, I think he's talking to Arwen or, uh, yeah, I think it's Arwen. Yeah, I think he is, yeah, in the movie. He's like, I've never wanted that power. And again, it's just different. So I think it's, it's interesting. Like this makes sense to me. This task that Elrond put him on makes sense to me as to why canon Aragorn seems a little bit more arrogant or not even arrogant, but just like confident in who he is as opposed to like theatrical Aragorn. Yeah, no, that's a, actually a really good point. And I've always liked canon Aragorn a lot better mm-hmm. than Peter Jackson's interpretation. Um, and I think for that very reason, though, I didn't really make that tie in. I think I think you're spot on. Basically, Elrond's like, 
look, it's the she's the love of your life, but you have to complete this quest and rise to the height above all of your forefathers since the days of Elendil to to be with her. Yeah, and he's doing it for that, the girl. Yeah, and that makes sense why Aragorn's like, all right, strap on this backpack, let's do this. Versus, like you were saying in the movies, he's very timid, he's very reluctant. Um, I don't know, there's just a few different points, and that's one of them that you mentioned in the books at Edoras, but there's a few different points in the books where Aragorn... It, like everybody is just blown away by the majesty and Tolkien describes yeah. him as like getting taller and just taking up. A, he's a huge presence and people are just shocked by like the change that comes over him. Um, yep. I know that it happens like when they're going past the Argonoth down mm. the Anduin and yeah, the fellowship yeah. uh, when he sees, you know, the statues of Isildur and Elendil and, and he stands up in the boat and everybody else are, is scared of the giant statues and he's, stands up and they Tolkien describes him as being like kingly and everybody was shocked by him. And so that goes right back to what you're saying. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, that's a good point. So yeah. Anyways, uh, after that, just like Sam mentioned, our Aragorn has a very distinct quest. He doesn't ever falter from that quest because he's driven for the love, um, driven by the love of Arwen. And so she never actually faltered either. And in her love for him after they plighted their troth. <laughs> um, and she actually wove a banner for him and she gave it to her brothers and who they were part of the gray company, the Dunedain that came from the North to ride with Aragorn through the paths of the dead. Uh, she gave it to him and he, he used it as like his, his war banner. Basically he, during the battle of the Pelennor and going through the paths of the dead, he was, he was using the banner that uh, Arwen had, had made for him. It's described during the battle of the Pelennor fields when the battle, when the banner was unfurled um, at the battle of the Pelennor fields to reveal the emblems of Elendil and the mithril gem, gems and gold. It was the first triumphant announcement of the King's return. So basically he was like, I am the King and I'm here to take what's mine. Um, and that's what that banner is, because I'm sure Arwen's like, well, for me to be with you, you have to be this. So yep. I'm going to make gonna, you the banner that says you are. <laughs> I'm going to deck this thing out. Yeah. <laughs> Which when you think about like Ariel and I think about Amanda, it's like there's things that they know you are and they do things mm -hmm. to make sure that you remember that. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's uh -huh. kind of what that seems like to me. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. So then. You know all the things that happened during the War of the Ring, and uh, so then Aragorn takes over takes over the rule of Gondor and Arnor, and the t the Dominion of Man starts up. Um, and Arwen actually gave away her her ability to go across the sea to Valinor. She gave it up to Frodo, uh, since he was a ring bearer, and to to kind of get away. So she she is tied to the doom of man and she, you know, has to taste the bitterness that is death. Um, along which I think era. is, is something that the movies, I mean, again, the movies were already amazing and super long, but they didn't really flesh out because they just kind of sent Bilbo and Frodo off into the, the undying lands without really explaining, like, they're not allowed to do that. <laughs> not, not yeah. that like, like not that Peter Jackson did something that wasn't canonical, like that, like that actually happened. But again, mortals aren't allowed to take those, places and so Arwen right. giving that up is is a really big uh really big sacrifice on her end and it also also is 
huge for Frodo because again we see Frodo after he comes back he's just not the same he's depressed he's anxious I'm sure he's got like night terrors from everything that he's done he's just not at peace you know right and so this was such a gift uh it was literally an internal gift that she gave him yeah yeah that's that's a great point um and so Aragorn went on to rule with Arwen by his side for 122 years. He fought many battles and cleared the earth of Sauron's presence. Like I had mentioned, he was best friends with Aomer and rode against, uh, you know, the remnants of Sauron's forces that were still trying to put up a fight. Uh, and there was great peace during his reign, like something that Gondor had not seen for a very, very, very long time. Um, and then Aragorn and Arwen ended up having one son named Eldarion. And then he also had several unnamed daughters that you really don't know much about, but he only had one son. Yeah. And so uh, now we get to kind of the, the last days of Aragorn and his death. And before we talk about this, I think it's interesting that Tolkien even just has the appendices to begin with. I think you can tell like as he's writing, he struggles really hard to give up these characters. Yeah. Uh Like he doesn't want them to go, you know, he wants to keep writing about them and he wants to like give them a a proper and, you know, good send off, if you will. And so again, for people who have read the books, Lord of the Rings, they get to, you know, the Great Havens chapter, they finish that, they think it's done. Like go read the appendices because there's some beautiful, beautiful stuff. So now we're into the fourth age. So everything that happened, Lord of the Rings was in third age. Now we're into the fourth age. age. Yep. Yeah, yeah, very into the third age. Now we're in the fourth age, the very beginning of it, in the year 121, Aragorn dies. Um, but just the whole kind of interaction, it's very interesting, and there, there's a lot of dialogue we can have here, so feel free to chime in whenever. I'm actually just going to read straight from the appendices here in a minute. But uh, Aragorn, he tells, he tells Arwen, he says, At last, Lady Evenstar, fairest in this world and most beloved, my world is fading. Lo, we have gathered, we have spent and now the time of payment draws near so arwen has been kind of expecting this she knew what he was talking about she's like okay my husband's about to die um but she knew that if he died she would die too and she wasn't ready for that and so she kind of talks with him like like no not before your time and he's like what do you mean before my time like i've i've done everything that i've needed to do We've spent amazing times together. We've done incredible things, but it really is my time. It's not before my time. And so he goes to the House of Kings in the silent street, and he lays himself down on on a bed that was prepared for him. And he said farewell to Gondor and to Arnor, and people came, and he he said goodbye to everybody. And then he brought a son to him, um, Eldarion. Eldarion? I think it's Eldarion. Eldarion. And he, he pretty much tells him, like, all right, man, it's all you. So he gives him the winged crown of Gondor and the scepter of Arnor, implying like, it's, it's your time to, to rule. You get to take the throne. Now, he didn't have to die to do this. It's something that I actually, I was going down like Tolkien threads and reading things. He didn't actually have to die to give up his rule. He could have been like, all right, I'm, I'm old and decrepit. I'm not doing a great job anymore. Go for it, Eldarion. You can rule. But um, it just kind of happens to coincide with his with his death. So I think it's also important to understand that one of the gift to the Numenorians is that they can choose when they die. Um, so they get extra long life and they, 
it's hard to describe, but if you read some of the unfinished tales, basically their life, there's a huge kind of latency period, if you will, between life and death. So they, they can live their entire life all the way up until the end of their, their, their time and without much aging. So they don't go through like, you know, normal humans. They don't go through a lot of the sicknesses and a lot of the, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, the atrophy of the muscles and of the mind he is still it's important to remember he is virtually just as still as mentally sharp and physically sharp as he is during the time of the lord of the rings however he knows that it's his time very 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 soon and in this conversation he has with arwen basically he's saying like i can choose to die now um, because those last few years are so accelerated. I can choose to die now and die in the height of my glory and I will be remembered this way. Or I can try to prolong, you know, my time on this planet, on this Middle Earth. But then I will, you know, go down that road of aging Decline very, quickly. very, very yeah. quickly. And he basically says, like, our son Eldarion is ripe for the kingship. I've just like Sam mentioned, I've done everything I need to do. I don't want to, I want to die on my terms versus the like incredibly accelerated aging process afterwards. Yeah, definitely. And so I wanted to just kind of read some of their back and forth as these are the final words of Aragorn, son of Arathorn, LSR, king of, of Gondor. Um, he says to, he says to Arwen, I speak no comfort to you, for there is no comfort for such pain within the circles of the world. Pretty much saying, like, there's no way I can comfort you with my passing. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but there's nothing that can, nothing I could say that would ease any of this pain you're feeling. But he says, the uttermost choice is before you, to repent and go to the havens and bear away into the west the memory of our days together that shall there be evergreen, but never more than memory or else to abide to the doom of men. So he's saying like, you can maybe try to get back on a ship and sail away and go to the undying lands, or just kind of accept the same fate that I'm doing right now, you know, accept the death of men. And she says, nay, dear Lord, the choice is long over. There is now no ship that would bear me hence. Because again, I gave my spot to Frodo, but I must abide in the doom of men, whether I will or I nil, the loss and the silence. But I say to you, King of the Numenorians, not till now have I understood the tale of your people and their fall. As wicked fools, I scorned them, but I pity them at last. For if this is indeed, as the elders say, the gift of the one to men, it is bitter to receive. So she's talking about that gift of death, again, because the elves don't have that, and they don't really know what is comes after death, whereas you know the elves have a whole, they have it all kind of figured out a little bit, but this is kind of the gift of men is their death yeah, and instead of just prolonged and life. This is, what she's referencing is the Island of Numenor. The reason, uh, the reason it fell and Aragorn's people, basically just a small remnant of them survived is because of this very thing. They got scared of death and they tried to mm-hmm. gain immortality by sailing to the undying lands, which was forbidden to them. And so Arwen yep. saying, you know, I thought that was just stupid. Why would they do that? I don't understand. What's the big deal? And now she's like actually experiencing it firsthand and she's like, whew, this sucks. Yeah, absolutely. So Aragorn replies, so it seems. But let us not overthrow the f- at the final test who of all old renounced the shadow and the ring 
in sorrow we must go, but not in despair. Behold, we are not bound forever to the circles of the world, and beyond them is more than a memory. Farewell. Estelle, Estelle, she cried, and with that, even as he took her hand and kissed it, he fell into sleep. Then a great beauty was revealed in him, so that all who after came there and looked on him in wonder, for they saw the grace of his youth and the valor of his manhood, and the wisdom and majesty of his age were blended together. So everything that you just mentioned, Seth, about not wanting to wait to the very end to see his body decay, to see his glory decay, people could actually see him as king of Gondor and his splendor of the kings of men together. And long there he lay, an image of the splendor of the kings of men, and glory undimmed before the breaking of the world. And this is also kind of really well done by Peter Jackson, in the foresight that they have in the two towers when you know Arwen is kind of seeing what's going to happen Elrond's telling her like he's going to die and you're going to mourn everything that's going to happen but they show him like on his deathbed like he's dead he's got his sword and then it kind of fades into now there's like a statue of him in the exact same like look and appearance and likeness so I think that's really a neat little tie-in and I love the details that Peter Jackson brings into it you know, stuff that obviously he went to the depths of Tolkien's knowledge to just tap into it with his with his things yeah, here. I, I wanted to point out too, I I think this is some of the most beautifully written like farewells that mm-hmm. I've ever read or seen in a movie or anything like that. It's just incredibly beautiful and, and it strikes a nerve. And for me personally, I love when Aragorn he looks at her and says, But let us not be overthrown at the final test. It's like yeah. We've done so well. We've accomplished everything. And this is the hardest test of all. Mm. And let us not be overthrown by it. We are still in control of our emotions, of our ability to, you know, not go crazy about <laughs> losing your loved one and giving up, you know, the life that they had. It's like, right. let us not be overthrown. It's just, it, it's fitting to his character. It's fitting to who he is throughout all of Lord of the Rings. It's just, it, it, that's one of my favorite lines. Well, and this is a man who's experienced death. Yeah. Right. Death throughout the war, the, you know, the battle of Psalm, like he understands what it means to lose his best friend, you know, multiple and best to watch people yeah. die. Yeah. Multiple best yep. friends. Like he, he knows what these goodbyes mean and how hard they are, but also how important it is to, to overcome that final test. Like you mentioned. Yep. Um, which sadly for, for Arwen, I'm not so sure she does that in a great way. I'll just kind of read her, her final two paragraphs here of her life. But, um, Tolkien says, but Arwen went forth from the house and the light of her eyes was quenched. And it seemed to her people that she become cold and gray as nightfall and winter that comes without a star. So again, you think this was the fairest to walk the earth brightness, wherever she walks, she was the even star. And now there is no star. Yep. Then she said farewell to Eldarion, her son, and to her daughters, and to all whom she loved, and she went out from the city of Minas Tirith and passed away to the land of Lorien, and dwelt there alone under the fading trees until winter came. Galadriel had passed away, and Celeborn was also gone, and the land was silent. There was at last the Malorn leaves were falling, but spring had not yet come. She laid herself to rest upon Sirith Amroth, Boom, there it is. And there is her green grave until the world is changed. And all the days of her life are utterly forgotten by men that come after. 
and Eleanor and Nifredil bloom no more east of the sea. Here ends this tale, as it has come to us from the south, and with the passing of the even star, no more is said in the book of the days of old. Man. Yeah. That's, it's such a sad... She, she goes to the place that they met, and she lays down alone, because all of her people, all of her grandparents' people, took the last ships over the sea back to the undying lands that she could have been a part of. But she goes back to the land that she had, you know, she's 2,900 years old or whatever at this point. How much time had she spent mm. in this exact area with the people she loved? And now she's completely alone and she lays down and calls it, calls it quits. Yeah. And the same exact spot where they, they got engaged, yeah. you know, they plighted their troth. And I mean, I just thinking about it for me, like if I went back to SS park, Colorado and lay in the main street in front of Bob and Tony's pizza, <laughs> where I, <laughs> where I, proposed to ariel during that christmas parade but everyone was gone it was a ghost town it's silent you know you got the tumbleweeds flying through the street and it's just like man yeah everything that i loved about this place is now gone yeah there's literally nothing left and that's the place she chooses (laughs) to pass away yeah whoo man there's so much so much extra stuff that people don't know about if they just watch the movies or if they even just read the books and they stop at the end instead of going into the appendices. And I think again, like I mentioned, it's just Tolkien, like just having a hard time saying goodbye to his characters, not wanting it to end. Yeah. He, I think on top of that too, is he just had such depths to everything that he wrote that he could have included all that into the book, but it would have just kind of clogged things up and wouldn't have, fed the storyline a whole lot but he's like this is a story that needs to be told you know like yes this makes the characters so much deeper and you understand their motivations and everything so much more and so he's like i gotta Mm. put it somewhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah beautiful story though i love i love diving back into tolkien with you seth and and again just looking at an amazing relationship um and just a fun a fun fantasy. Yeah, it's kind of hard to transition out of like the super sad passing of Arwen. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is right. this is a good chat, and I'm glad we were finally able to find some time to jump on and do this. Yeah, I agree. Well, <laughs> with that said, Gondor is calling for aid. This is the part of the podcast where Gondor calls for Ed uh, aid. We light the beacon. Ed. Will you, Rohan? Ed aid. <laughs> Gondor calls for aid. We're lighting the beacon and we're busting into the halls of Metacell asking Gondor calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? If you like the podcast, please leave a review, like, subscribe, share with friends, and please leave a, leave a review. We want to know what you guys think about this podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you have a Tolkien story of your own that you'd like to share with us, you can email me at weckpodcast at gmail.com. That's W-E-C podcast at gmail.com. And we'll share it on the podcast. We'd love to hear how Tolkien has impacted you guys as well. Well, I hope you will continue to follow in our fellowship next time as we dive into more Tolkien. But until then, we bid you all a very fond farewell. That really is an impactful story.
It's amazing. Like, I want to cry now. I read this out loud to Evelyn, and I actually started crying at the very end, <laughs> where it's like, ah, still, ah, still. <laughs> yeah, she's like, no, he's gone. Like, he, oh, man. Yeah. 